Well, good morning. So good to be with you all. I'll tell you one thing, if anything, of uh, this, what is going on in our context with the virus and um, things of that nature, of quarantine and social distancing, there's really no substitute for community, uh, that every attempt at it just fails in comparison with face-to-face interaction. We are God's people gathered by His name, uh, and just being here this morning is a privilege and a blessing, so I'm glad to be with you all and good to see you all. We will be in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, and if you will... um, I guess it would help if I turn this on. Oh, it is on. Isaiah 55, and starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, who is sufficient to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, not by might, nor by strength, but by my Spirit. Lord, we confess that we are utterly dependent upon you for the proclaiming and for the hearing. Everyone in this room is dependent upon you for physical life and spiritual. Father, I pray that you would enable us to hear that your word would accomplish what it sent forth to do to this body in our hearts. And Father, we would be careful to give you the glory. Lord, teach us, speak to us, that we might live. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah, just an overview, Isaiah is really split into three different sections. The first one being all the way from chapter 1 going into verse 39. And All of that context is really the prophet speaking to Israel and Judah before uh, the Assyrian uh, invasion. Um, So there's the context and the historical that that, uh, 
the prophet is ministering in that. And then he changes in chapter 40 through 55, and it speaks to a time that Isaiah was not even alive during that time. Uh, it's really addressing the people who, uh, who are in Babylonian captivity. These are people who have been exiled off the land. Uh, the context of this is uh, chapter 40 and verse 1. He says he, the, the turning of the, 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 the emphasis of the, of the message begins in chapter 40. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, Lord's hands double for all her sins. It says that he was angry with them, but now the Lord is entreating them. He is comforting his people. And we find chapter 55 in the midst of God reaching, desiring, calling forth his people that he might comfort them. That he is not totally forsaking them. That there is a remnant that he is after, a people that he will gather. Though the warnings from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 39 is that they would not depart from him, but they would return. And chapter 40 is now that the discipline has been exacted. God has still not forsaken his people, but is endeavoring uh, to bring them back to himself. Uh, he says in chapter, when we go back to chapter 55, you'll see the the comfort, how is God comforting his people? How is he speaking tenderly through them? Well, he's inviting them. There's an invitation to come and feast with him. In chapter 55, verse 1, he says, Come, over and over, this chapter 55, verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk. Every provision... Everything that is necessary for life and pleasure and joy is saying, God is saying, come to me for these things. Why would you labor any other way? Why would you try to seek these things apart from me? For I am the one who they come from. Every good thing in our lives ultimately comes from the Lord. So this invitation that God is, has a feast for us to come. As you see in chapter 1, and there's promises that God gives us in chapters 55, verse 1 through 5. There's promises that he is stating. There is a person who is going to break on the scene, this son of David. These, and we went through this the last time we preached, which I don't think you probably remember that. It was six months ago. But the Lord had made promises to David. We read about those in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that of this kingdom and this dynasty will never end and that God was going to make him a witness to the people. And we saw how in Acts that Peter addresses this passage and makes them address the Lord. They are speaking specifically of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ himself. He is the fulfillment of those things. And we said that he is the witness of those. And a nation that did not know you has run to you. And we made the point to say that we are those people. We're part of that gathered nation that the Lord was seeking and drawing to himself. And he has, he has poured out his mercy and grace upon us. And so what is the right proper response? And that's where we're getting to our text today is what is the right response to this invitation? To all this provision that God has made to the, through, the, through His Son. Through this Messiah who was to come. 
this Son of David, this, the Lord Jesus Christ? What is, what is our proper response in light of that? Well, in chapter 6, you can see the admonition and the instruction is, seek the Lord. Uh, this, the urgency of this is seen, and it says, seek the Lord while He may be found. There is an opportunity for us that the Lord has opened a way and that we are to, the urgency of the call is now that He can be found, that He is near, and that we would seek Him. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Well, this word is mentioned 164 times in the Old Testament. Uh, to seek the Lord is to set our hearts and our affections upon the Lord. Uh, there is, a, there is a desire in us to know the Lord. Uh, it's kind of interesting to note that when the new covenant is initiated, Jeremiah says that no one will say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know me. There is something distinct that the Lord does in the heart of a believer that understands, like it says in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That we come on, we come to know the Lord. The Spirit is an inner witness in us that says that God is our Father. And so we want to know more of the Lord. It's not that we don't know who He is, but there is a desire in each of us that God awakens to continue to know the Lord. We want to know Him. We want to know what He says. We want to know what He means when He says what He means, right? Where there's a desire. What's His heart? What is He like? We want to know Him. And that's what it means to seek the Lord. There's a desire to be interacting with Him, to commune with Him, to worship Him. What is the proper response to the invitation? It's to seek the Lord. Uh, you would... Now, this, I want you to understand something. We don't seek Him first, right? God is the initiator, the one who has, sought, who has worked in us that would cause us to seek Him. Look at Isaiah 31 with me here. Isaiah 31, verse 1. I want you to know that God is offended when we do not seek Him. Um, look at Isaiah 31 verse 1 it says woe to those who go down to Egypt for help who rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord that, certain, that consult right there is to seek, to call there's no considering of him it is looking beyond him or the ignorance of him that you would go to some other means which to help it says verse 2 it says yet he is wise and brings disasters he does not call back his words but all arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity the egyptians are man there is a limitation to their strength. There's, there is something that is only capable in man, and beyond that, he says in verse 3, and not God. 
There is an end to the resources. There's an end to the strength. They are not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hands, the helper will stumble. And he who has helped will fall. You know, one good things about adversity is that they start removing the props that we so easily lean upon. Uh, it reminds us that strength is, does not come from man. It does not come from earthly means. That those resources will be deficient. And God is the offended party when God's people do not look to the Lord and do not seek the Lord for their help. Uh, he is the one who is offended when we do not look to Him. It's the same in chapter 8, verse 19. The Lord speaking, and He says, I'll just pick up in verse 16. He says, bind up the testimony. Seal the teachings among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in Him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs, importance in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and murder, should not a people inquire of their God? Should, not, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the testimony, and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. When we depart from the Lord and start looking for other means of strength and support, we're not walking in the paths of light. We are heading in the paths of darkness. It is unreliable to trust on anything other than than the Lord. And it is God, that's what I'm trying to communicate to you, that it is God who is questioning His people and say, should you not inquire of me? How many times do we rush headlong in decisions without ever consulting the Lord, without ever seeking His face? How many times have you made decisions doing that and soon felt the regret and the sting of not trusting and confiding in the Lord? God is dishonored by not being sought. So the proper response, verse 6, is to seek Him. It's God who has called us. It is God, look at verse in chapter 65, verse 1, He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God says, I've made every path. I'm waiting just on the word for your heart and your mind to turn to seek me. He's ready to answer. The reason that God is offended because he is not sought is because the giver gets the glory, right? Whoever provides the strength and the relied upon is sown to be trustworthy. Look what it says in Psalms chapter 50. Psalms chapter 50 verse 15. He says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. The deliverer is the benefit 
but the glory goes to one who is providing the strength. And if we trust in things other than God, then the glory does not go to God, but to these other things. God is minimalized. He is marginalized. He is sought as something beyond who He is. He is the God of all strength and all power. He is the omnipotent one who made the earth, who spoke this people into existence. We should not be inquiring of the dead for the living. We should not be marginalizing God, but seeking Him, calling upon Him, for He deserves the glory and is trustworthy. All, other, all others we just sung are sinking sand. They cannot support us in those moments. There is an end to their strength. God's people should rely upon their God. And they should seek Him. Next, the urgency of this command is also seen in the window of the opportunity. Look what it says. It says, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Do not presume upon your pride and think that there will always be an opportunity to call upon the Lord. It is very prideful of us to think that the Lord is always going to be there when we decide to turn around and come back to Him. You think about Esau. It says that he desired to come back repentance, but had no way. There was no, there was no access to that repentance. It was denied him. James chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's wills, we will live and do this or that. All such boasting is evil. The urgency of seeking, the urgency of calling is because there's a window of opportunity. And you and I do not know when that window will close. You and I are not afforded the insight to know what will happen in a day. Nobody plans for accidents. Nobody says today, I want a car wreck. It just happens. We do not know and it's presumptuous to us if we forfeit, if we turn aside to delay our seeking in our calling in our trusting, God's people need to be relying upon the Lord. And don't presume upon your pride and arrogance and think that there will always be an opportunity to come home. Friend, there might not be. Today, if you hear His voice, the Scripture says, Today, if you hear His voice, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let pride and arrogancy keep you back from presuming that God is always going to be there as an opportunity. Seek the Lord. Call upon Him. What does it mean to call upon the Lord? It's for help. It's for trouble. It's for reliance. It's an expression of our faith. We call upon Him. Call upon Him knowing that if the Lord does not help us, that there is no help. God wants to be relied upon. Second Chronicles 
The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards Him. God desires to be relied upon. God is glorified when we trust Him. God is marginalized when His people look beyond Him for a other means. Seek the Lord. The proper response to this coming to this invitation and all this provision and feast to seek Him. Call upon Him. Trust Him. But make no mistake about it. There really is no seeking if there is no forsaking. Don't deceive yourself in saying that I'm seeking the Lord, but there are things that God brings to your heart and mind that says, forsake. Remove. Look what it says in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way. Do you understand that this invitation is to the wicked? The unrighteous man, the God of glory, is asking, desiring, inviting, entreating, speaking tenderly that you would come. But an obstacle must be overcome. There is no seeking without repenting. What does it mean to repent? Like what one author said, repentance is always in season, right? Luther says our life, Martin Luther says our life is one of always repenting. Lord, there's always things that God is doing in our hearts to lives to mold us, change us in the image of Jesus. Sanctifying us, making us more and more like His Son. But there's no seeking There's no calling if we're still holding to something that he says, let go. Forsake it. Forsake his way. Let the wicked forsake it. Repent. Look at this says in 57, chapter 57. If you just turn the page, verse 20 and 21. First, I'm just going verse 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore and comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of his lips. Peace, peace to those far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up in mire and dirt. There is no peace says my God, for the wicked. When we are in Psalms 50, it's interesting to note that God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Call upon me and I will deliver you. And then in the very next verse, God says, but what does the wicked, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statues or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. You have no regard to my word. Why would you call upon me when you would reject the very word that I am saying to you? Hate discipline. God's people have come to embrace the waves that throws us against the rock. We understand that God is purging us. The fire is 
is purifying us into a, a vessel that could be used and glorify God. So we understand that there is a forsaking. Whatever it is, friend, whether it's small or big, whenever God puts His big finger on anything in our lives, it's time to go. It's got to be removed. There's no playing games. There's no double-heartedness, double-mindedness, as James says. We can't be divided in our allegiance. Either we will seek the Lord or we won't. Either we'll call upon Him and rely upon Him or we won't. Don't pretend that you are seeking God when you're unwilling to forsake your wicked ways. Listen, it's not just outward conformity, right? It's not just outward ways. It's inward thoughts. These thoughts become plans, right? These plans become actions. God says it's not just the outward things, but it's the inward things as well. Let it forsake. What is repentance? It is a turning away from, but it's also a turning to God. That's in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. There has been a departure. There's been a removal of reliance upon him. Now return. Return. And we might think, <laughs> and the enemy is so crafty in what we think we're going to experience, right? The one who has every right to condemn, cast us into hell, and yet what we find when we return is compassion. Compassion. Does it not humble you, friend, to go to the one who has every right to kill, destroy, and yet what you don't find is a hard, closed, iron fist, but what you find is a tender, compassionate heart? You don't think it rocked the prodigal son when he comes home to the father. The father has every right. He says, just treat me like a slave. Don't let me in the house. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be in the house. Just let me stay out back. And what does he find in the, in the treatment from the father? Compassion. Friend, the goodness of God causes repentance. It it effectuates it. You see that the Lord is compassionate. As the Father pities His Son, so the Lord has compassion on those. Just like a father has compassion towards his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. We must repent. We cannot be like a horse or a mule which does not have understanding, whose way must be held with bit and bridle. Many are the sorrows to the wicked, but when in turning to the Lord, we find compassion, mercies. Think of Lamentations 3. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. This is after the Lord is disciplining His people, bringing them back. He says in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him again. Mercy. Listen, friend. None of us ever deserved grace. None of us ever deserve mercy. And yet what we find with the Lord is morning after morning after morning, mercy is waiting to, to welcome you into His presence. If it was not for mercy, you and I have no place to stand. And yet God is rich in it. Delights in it. He delights in showing you mercy. Think about that, friend. He delights in it. It gives him joy to be compassionate and merciful towards you. What would make you hold on to those wicked, unrelenting thoughts and desires and not relinquish them and return and find the Lord compassionate? Peace and joy overwhelming the heart. Why? To live a life that brings him glory. Compassion. And when we think, there's no hope for me. You don't know what I did. You don't know how many times I've done the same thing over and over and over. We think there's an end to these mercies. That God is going to stop doing it one day. Friend, it's just not true. For the Lord who puts the word of repentance in our heart is the Lord who awakened us to compassion when we come. If there is a desire, friend, for you to return, do not put it off. Run. And when you go, expect, trust what His Word says. Compassion and pardon. Compassion and pardon. It doesn't say pardon. It says abundantly pardon. As the east is from the west, gracious is our God. As hard and as difficult as sin is and how it's our worst taskmaster, yet we find the very opposite in God. We find freedom and grace and love. Friend, let go, repent, turn away from your ways and your thoughts and turn to the Lord and find compassion and pardon. Now listen to me, he's not sweeping this under the rug. <laughs> Everything in chapter 55 is on the basis of Isaiah 53. Your sin had a price, immeasurable price. It is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he sees the anguish of his soul. And he relents of the wrath that you deserve. Because it already has been paid in full. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. Your iniquities are atoned for. The reason God can pardon you is because he did not pardon his son. The judgment that you and I deserved, full vent of God's wrath, was placed upon the eternal Son of God. The reason God can be compassionate towards us and we can find abundant pardon is because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, He does not overlook it, but He looks through the blood that covers us. These next verses are difficult. Difficult in a way that people use them by saying that their, their God is so much higher than us, that He's incomprehensible. 
It's very true, and it's a good principle to kind of draw out of these verses. But in context, look at what it says here. Look at verse, look at verse 7. just wanted you to notice that verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God's ways are not wicked, and God's ways are not unrighteous. God's thoughts are not wicked, nor are His ways unrighteous, ever. What this is saying to you, and it adds to the urgency of this seeking and calling and repenting, is this. There is an immeasurable gap between your ways and God's ways. There is an incomprehensible... We, Listen, in this time when this scripture was written, we were not looking through telescopes to see beyond galaxies beyond. What they did is they looked to the heavens and they thought, how could I ever get up there? (laughs) That is vast. I cannot reach that gap. And that's the point that the author is making is you cannot reach this plateau. There's no efforts that you can make in this inseparable gap between you and God. His ways and your ways. His thoughts and your thoughts. There is a huge gulf that cannot be, cannot be reached. God will never be like man. He is not man, says <laughs> that Psalms 50 passage is kind of where I've been working in myself. And think about this. He says, he says these things you have done. He's talking about all these hating discipline, giving your mouth free reign, speaking evil against your brother. He says, these things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I will rebuke and lay charge to you. That's Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Psalms 50, verse 21. You thought that I was like you. You thought that I think like you. You thought that I act like you. Friend, when Isaiah sees the Lord for who He truly is in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. We're constantly trying to bring this God down to this level. And it's impossible. His ways and thoughts are beyond. It's incomprehensible. It's unattainable. Cannot bring him down to your and I level. He is holy. All-consuming fire. My ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. So when I say come... Run. When I say seek, come. Do not delay. Do not hold to these wicked and unrighteous ways. For who is seeking you? Who is initiating this desire for you to fellowship with Him? It is the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, as, as one of Isaiah's favorite names for God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Do not think that I am like man. I do not change my mind. 
I am forever holy, righteous, and good. Verse 7. God gives us, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's the antithesis of the, or excuse me, the, the parallel to what he's saying in verse 9. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, but in comparison to this, they are a great gulf in between. Verse 10, 4. Look, so that's what I'm saying to you. The argument is seen in these words four, four, four. Six and seven says seek and call, return, repent. Verse 8, 4. Verse 9, 4. Verse 10, 4. So this word is hinging us to repentance, right? The word, the emphasis of this passage in chapter 6 through 11 is repent. Repent. That is the emphasis of this. So what is the emphasis of how repentance relates to verse 10 and 11? That's what I'm here for. Watch this. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return, it is a gift. You see that? It comes down and it does not return. It is a gift. And it brings forth life, right? Making it, making it bring forth bud and sprout. So life is a result of this gift. And it is efficient to provide seed and bread. So it's sustaining. So it's a gift. It brings forth life and it sustains. All right? You see that with me? Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So just like the rain and snow are a gift from heaven that brings forth life, that sustains everything for life, so shall his word be. What does that mean? It says that it is a gift. <laughs> Do you know how wonderful the gift of God is, the, the word of God? You know how wonderful it is? We don't have to pretend or sit under a tree and meditate to wonder about what God thinks or what's He like or what's important to Him. What's His priority? What's He up to? We don't have to wonder and bring all kinds of implications from our brokenness and thoughts and ways and think that we can discern God. But God gives us a wonderful gift that tells us what he deems is important. What's priority? What's life? What am I like? How do I deal with people? What do I desire? God's word is a precious gift to us. It's one that we often take for granted, but nonetheless, it is a gracious gift that God reveals himself, not just by some vision from some person on some faraway place, but he has made it where it is actually recordable. That it stands through time, through places, geographically, puts together, and is permanent. It's a wonderful gift. This gift, just like the rain and snow, bring forth sprout, makes it bud and sprout, that brings forth life, so does His Word. His Word brings forth life. 
You could see that physical life in Genesis chapter 1. You could see that spiritual life because God speaks to you through His Word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It awakens you. It brings forth spiritual life in you by just the hearing of it. The hearing of this Word is effectual that it brings forth life. Not only does it bring forth life, but it sustains it. It's what keeps us. Christ says it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It succeeds in its intention because it is God who works through it. Listen, there's many ways and means by which we can think God works in this world, but let me tell you one way that is a sure way that's through His word. It may become archaic. It may be through a, a, a video screen. It might have all different kinds of ways and means by which we're doing it. But one thing has to remain the same. It has to be His Word. It is what God has promised to work through. Why? Because it is the only thing that can be trusted because it, it is His Word. It is what, the means by which He works to bring forth life and to sustain us. Friend, the reason you and I get off track, the reason you and I do not seek the Lord, the reason we let wicked ways, and the reason we forsake the Lord is because primarily we forget His Word. We forget His Word. We do not rely upon it. We do not remember it and meditate on it and trust in it. But we go on from it. But it is God who keeps speaking and keeps bringing us back to these places in our lives. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that it's not one and done, that He's not like us, that after you blow it, you're blown off, you're written off, but He's pursuing. How do you end a sermon like this? Well, I think we end it by this. How should we come? How do we approach this banquet? Well, we come seeking the Lord. We come seeking Him. We come calling upon Him, worshiping Him. We come forsaking our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. We come returning to this proper relationship to the Lord. We come knowing the transcendence of God and the holiness of the Lord, that His ways and our ways are not the same. It is beyond and above. And we come believing His Word. Listen to me. The two main graces that God gives us is repentance and faith. And both of them are in this chapter. And both of them initiate in the heart and mind of God. And it comes by means of His Word. Trust His Word. Trust His promises. God will see us through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.